Hello. Welcome to the legends of King Arthur and his knights. Chapter 23. Schoolboys. Sir Tristram of Lyons was married to Isoude. Unfortunately for everyone, he was married to the wrong Isoude. La Belle Isoude, Princess of Ireland, was now Queen of Cornwall. She was married to King Mark, Tristram to Isoude La Blanche Mains. Of course, though, neither was happy. La Belle Isoude wrote many letters to Tristram, but eventually realised she was getting nowhere. Honour and chivalry were powerful things. Isoude, cunning and clever as ever, decided to invite Tristram to Cornwall. She also invited his new wife, telling them they were both welcome to stay as long as they liked. Tristram accepted the invitation, but invited his brother-in-law to come instead of his wife. It was quite clear he didn't want his wife around when he met La Belle Isoude again. Why he took his brother-in-law is anyone's guess. Sir Tristram of Lyons, Governale, Sir Cahidius and a few servants set out for Cornwall. Whether Sir Tristram was simply a bad sailor is not recorded. What is known is that for the second time his ship was blown off course and he landed in North Wales. Looking up at the sky, he decided it would be ten days before the weather would be good enough for them to set sail again. Tristram, though, was not one to sit around. Commanding the rest of the party to wait for them, he and Sir Cahidius rode off to find adventure. They soon encountered a knight who asked them to joust with him. Sir Cahidius went first and lost quickly. Sir Tristram then took on the knight. Despite being one of the greatest knights in the world, he didn't have it easy. In fact, he was knocked from his horse. Jumping up quickly, he demanded the other knight fight him on foot. The knight was only too happy to oblige, and they fought hard for two hours. Eventually, Tristram asked the knight who he was. The knight removed his helmet, and Tristram recognised him immediately. I am Sir Lamorak of Wales, of course. Tristram removed his own helmet and smiled. They agreed to resume their fight, and after a couple more hours, Sir Lamorak offered to yield. Tristram... Recognising a tie when he saw one, refused and offered to yield to Sir Lamorak. He too refused, and they decided never to fight each other again. While Sir Tristram and Sir Lamorak were being all chummy, they were distracted by the arrival of another knight. Sir Palamedes had taken up the quest of the strange beast, previously followed by Lamorak's father, King Pellinor. They were about to offer him a joust, but Palamedes was in too much of a hurry, and he charged them before they were ready. He knocked both of the great knights from their horses and then charged off after the beast. Tristram was highly annoyed. If you ever see that knight again, he said to Sir Lamorak, tell him that one day I will show him that I am a better knight than he is. Sir Tristram rode off in a huff. Sir Lamorak rode away in the other direction. Before long, he came across another knight riding through the forest. It was Sir Meliagaunt, son of King Bagdemagus. It seems that in times of peace... Brave knights stooped to the level of schoolboys, because Sir Lamorak didn't tell the other knight he was there. Instead, he spied on him as he entered a chapel and prayed. He sniggered as he heard the knight profess his love for Queen Guinevere. As Meliagaunt left the chapel, Lamorak approached him. Now, he probably did it in a knightly way, but there can be no disguising what his intentions were. He said the Arthurian equivalent of, Ooh, you fancy Guinevere. Meliagaunt made no attempt to deny it, in fact, he loudly proclaimed that Guinevere was the most beautiful woman in the world. Lamorak disagreed. Nope, he said. Queen Morgors of Orkney, mother of Sir Gawain and his brothers, is the most beautiful woman in the world. Oh, no, she's not, argued Meliagaunt, and I'll prove it. Fight me. 
Lamorak was only too pleased, and the two knights fought over which girl was the prettiest. They really didn't have enough to occupy them. Their schoolboy squabble was interrupted by Sir Lancelot, who was riding by. He asked what they were fighting for, and almost laughed when he heard the answer. It was particularly amusing for Lancelot to hear that Meliagaunt was keen on Guinevere, given that he was seeing her behind King Arthur's back. Eventually they all agreed that every man thought his own love was the most beautiful, and therefore they were all right. Sir Tristram, who was already not in the best of moods, soon encountered the knight most likely to make his temper even worse. And who was that? Sir Kay, of course. Given that Sir Tristram was wearing his helmet, Kay did not immediately know who he was. He shouted over to the unknown knight. Sir Knight, where are you from? I am from the country of Cornwall. Sir Kay scoffed. I have never heard of any decent knight coming from that place. Tristram, by now very cross indeed, demanded that this knight tell him his name. When he learnt it was Sir Kay, he taunted him in return, telling him he was a most shameful knight. They rode on together, continuing to quarrel, until they met Sir Tor and Sir Brandiles. The four of them rode to some lodgings and had supper together. Throughout the meal, the three knights of Camelot taunted poor Tristram about his heritage, just like schoolboys teasing someone with a different accent. By the morning, Tristram was seething. He called to the knights. Right, I'll show you how shameful the knights of Cornwall are. I challenge you to joust with me. The three knights accepted, and of course were soundly beaten by Sir Tristram. As they picked themselves up, they demanded to know who it was who had beaten them. I am Sir Tristram of Lyons, nephew of King Mark of Cornwall. The three knights gulped, realising they had got off rather lightly, and asked Sir Tristram to accompany them back to Camelot and be made a knight of the round table. Whether he was still annoyed with the knights, or whether he simply had other things to do, Tristram refused. Joining the fellowship of the round table would have to be left to a later date. It was a good job that Tristram decided not to go to Camelot, but to continue his journey to Cornwall. King Arthur had been taken prisoner by an evil enchantress, and was being held in a tower nearby in North Wales. She wanted the king for herself, but soon realised that King Arthur was completely loyal to Guinevere. The enchantress, who was called Anauri, decided that King Arthur would have to die. Nimui, Lady of the Lake, discovered what was going on, and journeyed to North Wales because she had heard Sir Lancelot was there. She was going to ask the great knight to free King Arthur, but she couldn't find him. Fortunately for the magical lady, she found the next best thing. While searching North Wales for Sir Lancelot, she came upon Sir Tristram, making his way back to his ship, ready to sail for Cornwall. "'Oh, my lord, Sir Tristram,' she said with some relief, "'I really need your help.' Within two hours the most dreadful deed imaginable will be done. Our Lord King Arthur is to be killed by an evil witch. Lady, I am at your service, said Tristram, delighted to be able to help the king, and probably glad he'd finally met someone who wasn't taunting him from being from Cornwall. Together they rode to the castle. They were only just in time. King Arthur was being led into the courtyard by two knights. As Tristram and Nimui galloped towards the fortress, they saw one of the knights strike King Arthur on his head with a huge sword. The king fell to the ground, and the other knight wrenched off his helmet. Anauri marched towards the stricken monarch, sword in hand. She raised the sword, and was just about to sever the king's head, when Sir Tristram burst into the courtyard. "'Traitorous! Leave that king alone!' raged Tristram. 
Anauri was briefly distracted, allowing King Arthur to make his escape. Sir Tristram plunged his sword into the body of one of the knights, piercing his heart. The knight from Cornwall withdrew the sword and was sprayed with spurting blood. Then he turned and in one motion sliced the other knight through his back as he was trying to run away. Not to be outdone, King Arthur grabbed the sword from the enchantress Anauri and sliced off her head. He handed the head to the Lady of the Lake, who attached it to her saddle, and rode off. King Arthur turned to his saviour and asked who he was, and whether he wanted to accompany him to Camelot and join his fellowship. "'The time's not yet right for me to become a knight of the Round Table,' replied Sir Tristram. "'One day I will come to serve you, but not yet. Only then will you learn my name.' With that, Sir Tristram of Lyons rode back to where he had left the rest of his party, and sailed for Cornwall. This time the weather was calm, and they arrived safely. Sir Tristram persuaded his friend, King Mark's seneschal Sir Dinas, to smuggle Cahidius and he into the castle. They were led to a suite of rooms. There the two lovers, Tristram and Isoude, met for the first time in a long time. Theirs was a joyous reunion, and they spent a long time together. Cahidius was not amused. Not only was Sir Tristram married to his sister, and so shouldn't be carrying on with another woman, Cahidius began to fall for Isoude. He watched as Sir Tristram and Isoude continued to meet secretly, and his love for the Queen of Cornwall grew. Day by day, he became more and more unhappy, and he started to write letters to the Queen, telling her of his feelings. Rather stupidly, she wrote back to him, trying to offer him comfort. The poor, love-struck Sir Cahidius only took these letters as encouragement, and wrote even more. He wrote poems and songs. Pretty soon La Belle Isoude couldn't move for literature, praising her beauty and many other good qualities. One day, King Mark was playing chess in the courtyard below the suite where Tristram and Cahidius were hidden. Tristram found the letters and he raged at Cahidius, threatening to kill him. The poor lovelorn knight, fearing for his life, jumped out of the window and launched himself into the courtyard. Unfortunately, he crashed into a very startled King Mark's chessboard. Mark stood up and was about to ask what on earth was going on when Cahidius spoke. Um, I was asleep on your roof and I fell off, and now I have to go. Bye. Cahidius ran away. King Mark watched, mouth open, unable to speak. Then, shaking his head, he picked up the chess pieces and carried on playing. He was still completely unaware that his wife was upstairs with Sir Tristram. Sir Tristram, though, was not well. He was with his precious Isoude, but he grew more and more paranoid that he'd be discovered. Also, being shut up in a tower was no life for a knight-errant, and poor old Tristram began to go mad. Every day he was in the tower his brain became a little more addled, and his behaviour a little more odd. Isoude worried greatly that her love was going potty, but she couldn't calm Tristram. After a few weeks it became too much. Tristram sent Governale to fetch his horse and armour, and then, in full view of the court of King Mark, he rode from the castle and disappeared into the forest. For the second time in a few weeks, King Mark watched speechless as a knight who had been living in his castle without his knowledge rode out of his gates. Isoude was heartbroken. In the forest, Sir Tristram's madness grew. He was befriended by a lady who brought him meat to eat and water to drink. Every day he played his harp and sang about how terrible his life was. Often he forgot to eat, and he certainly forgot to bath and shave. After three months he looked like a naked tramp. His clothes had rotted away, 
His hair was long and lank, and his body was so thin he looked like a skeleton. After three more months, he disappeared. Nobody knew where he had gone. Another six months passed, and nobody knew the whereabouts of Sir Tristram of Lyons. No news, maybe, could be good news. At least there was a chance he was alive and well. One day in winter, though, a lady friend of Sir Andred rode into the court at Tintagel. She had terrible news. Sir Tristram, brave knight of Cornwall, is dead, she announced. I saw him with my own eyes, and I buried him with my own hands. His lands are now free, for he has no heir. King Mark, you must give his lands to his cousin, Sir Andred. King Mark wept for the loss of his nephew. Whether they were real tears or crocodile tears is anyone's guess. He had good reason for being pleased that Tristram was dead. La Bellisude was inconsolable. She took to her bed, refusing to come out. As anyone who's ever been depressed knows, however, staying in bed doesn't make you feel any better. Isude became more and more despairing as time went on, and soon decided that enough was enough. She took a sword and went down into the gardens. There she pitched it through a plum tree, so that two feet of the sharp end stuck out at about the height of poor Isude's heart. Wailing the name of her love, she prepared to throw herself on the sword. She couldn't bear life without Tristram. King Mark heard his wife's cries and sprinted over to her. He grabbed her and she collapsed, weeping into his arms. He took her to a tower and locked her in so she couldn't harm herself any further. The news spread like wildfire. Sir Tristram of Lyons was dead. A giant who roamed the forest near Tintagel, whose name was Torles, had been in hiding. He was scared of Sir Tristram and had ceased his evil gianting while the great man was alive, but now he came out into the open. A knight called Sir Dinant was captured by the giant who took his sword, threw it away and then cornered the knight. He was preparing to pull Sir Dinant's head off when a herdsman spotted what was going on. Help that knight, he shouted. Help him yourself, came a shout from the bushes. Following the shout out of the bushes came a wild-looking, very thin, naked man with hair down to his knees. Madness in his eyes, the crazy wild man laughed manically, grabbed the discarded sword and separated Torley's head from his shoulders. He chucked the head at Sir Dinant, who caught it, and with some difficulty carried it back to Tintagel. The crazy long-haired man ran back into the forest. When Sir Dinant arrived in Tintagel with the giant's head, he was smothered with praise. He was an honest knight, though, and he quickly told everyone that the giant had been slain by a tall, skinny loony, and not by him. Well, said King Mark, I will see this madman. Within a couple of days, King Mark's men had found the wild man. They brought him back to Tintagel, where he was washed, bathed and shaved. He was incredibly thin and gaunt, and clearly needed a few good meals. Queen Isoud went to see him, and thought she recognised him, but couldn't be sure. The thin man was obviously crazy, and he kept his head turned away from all visitors. The next time Isoud visited the man, she brought with her a small dog, given to her by Sir Tristram. The brachet leapt on the crazy man and refused to leave his side. It was perfectly clear to the Queen of Cornwall that this little dog had seen the crazy man before. In fact, it was clear that he knew the crazy man very well. Oh, she said to Bragwain, her maid, it's my lord, Sir Tristram. He's not dead. He's returned to me. She turned to the thin man. Sir Tristram, my lord, I thank God you're alive, but you must escape from here. When my husband, King Mark, discovers that it is you, he will banish you from Cornwall. Go to the court of King Arthur. 
he will welcome you into the fellowship of the round table. You will be safe there, and we will find a way to be together. Esoud was 100% spot on with her assessment. Over the next few days Tristram recovered and returned to his senses. The secret couldn't be kept too long, and pretty soon word reached the king that the little dog had known the thin man, and that it was Sir Tristram. When King Mark discovered his nephew was in his castle, he consulted with his barons. He wanted to put Tristram to death, but the barons wouldn't allow it. It was agreed that Tristram would be banished from Cornwall for ten years. He was given a horse and armour, and he rode out of Tintagel towards a waiting ship. He was met by a knight of the round table called Sir Dinadan. "'Sir Tristram of Lyons, he said, "'I am Sir Dinadan, knight of King Arthur. "'I've been seeking you, and I've achieved my quest. "'Wherever you are going, let me sail with you. "'But why are you leaving Cornwall, and what are your intentions?' "'I'm banished,' said Sir Tristram grumpily. "'After everything I've done for this country and for King Mark, "'I've been sent away from these lands. "'This is my reward for defeating Sir Marhaus and freeing Cornwall.' This is my reward for bringing La Belle to be the king's wife. This is my reward for defeating Sir Palamedes and for fighting Sir Bloberis. This is my reward for fighting the King of a Hundred Knights and the King of North Wales. This is my reward for slaying the giant Torlees, and this is my reward for all the service I have done. Many knights of the Round Table have spared knights of Cornwall because of me. Well, King Mark, you're on your own now. With that... He and Sir Dinadan boarded the ship, and they sailed away from Cornwall. Next week, we will follow Sir Tristram as he makes his way across England towards Camelot. Until then, have a great week, and I'll speak to you next time.